We are continuing on in our King series, and I entitled today's message, The End of a Nation. And I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank. So if you are watching online, you might want to fire up the app. If you are here, you might want to take out your handout sheet because I just have a couple questions and then we're going to jump right to it. Here's the question. How long will mankind, how, how long, let's put it this way. How long will God allow mankind to go on in rebellion? At what point does it cross over from patience to bad parenting? Y'all following me? I mean, think about it as a parent. How long are you going to allow your child to be in open rebellion against you without saying something, without doing something, without bringing significant correction? You see, we all want more and more patience of God. Yet if we're in difficulty, we want God to wreck the bad guys. I mean, isn't that kind of how it works? We never see ourselves as the bad guys. We always want him to, you know, Lord, when are you going to return and fix this crooked world, right? You know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. You got to come back. But we want a lot of space. So where's that line? You see, the fill in the blank in front of you, whether it's his children or his creation, there's times when God says what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. But what's it going to take to push God to that level? He is so patient, so kind, so forgiving, so merciful. What does it take to push God beyond the limit to where he says, no more, enough is enough? And then if he says that, what does it mean? Well, it means one thing for his kids. It means another thing for his enemies. And you only got those two camps. You're like, well, I kind of like God. No, 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 no. He said, you're either with me and gathering together or you're against me and scattering abroad. So we either have in God's family or not. If you are a child of God, enough is enough means discipline. It does not mean wrath. It means discipline. Discipline is always for the purpose of restoration and getting someone that you care for back into a healthy lifestyle to be blessed again. That is what discipline means. Does it hurt? Sure does. But what's it for? Restoration. What's it for? To get you back locked and loaded into maximizing living. That's what happens with God's kids. God's enemies... It may mean destruction. It may mean destruction. Is there another option? I believe there is, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you're brand new to us and you've not been a part of this series as we've gone on, we've been in a series called the King Series, and we're simply asking these questions. Who are you living for and what are you building? Who's your king of your life, right? Who, who are, who's calling the shots? Who's the one dictating your priorities, your agenda? Is it Jesus? Is it you? Is it something in life? Is it a concept? Is it society? And what kingdom are you building? Why do you go to work every day? Why do you invest in your family? Why do you have the friends that you have? What are you building? Are you building your empire or are you building God's kingdom? That's the question. Now, when we were studying that, we decided to go back into the Old Testament, back into ancient Israel. This time we're going to be talking about an era about 3,000 years ago. Because we want to learn from their mistakes. We want to learn about what led them to victory. We want to learn what led them to defeat. And we want to learn how do we apply it to our lives if they decided they didn't want God as their king of their nation and they switched him out for human kings, how did it go? It didn't go well. 
They didn't last very long before the whole nation split into two. Y'all remember this? There was a north and a south. The north hated the south. The south hated the north. They had different kings. They had different ideas. They had different concepts. The north never had a good leader. The south had a whole mixture of good and bad. But there's no way for me to talk about north and south in Israel without thinking about north and south in America. Haven't we done this in our nation? Isn't that also in our history? I mean, we had what we called a civil war. What's so civil about it, right? I mean, the idea that you would be on the same territory, that you're killing family that knows family, that you're having brother kill brother, this whole idea, that would happen in Israel, in God's promised land, with his chosen people. Why did it split? Bad leadership. Why did it split? Kicking out God. Why did it split? Because Jesus Christ was not being treated as the king that he is. You see, last time we talked, the north and the south were fighting. The king in the north, his name was Joash. Well, his son got on the throne and was the last of the long-term kings. Things unraveled real fast. And by the time we get done with today, the north is going to be gone. There's no more two sides. There's no more north and south. There's only going to be south. What would push God to say, I'm going to remove my chosen people from the promised land? What pushed God to say enough is enough? That is what we need to study. Now, let me just give you a little bit of the story here as we prep. We're going to be reading scripture together a little bit later in the message, but I want to just recap for you kind of how the north wrapped up. The son of the king I just mentioned, he led for 41 years. That's a long time. In the north, the normal tenure was 12 years. So this guy was leading, it seemed like, forever. But he followed the same pattern as all the other guys. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of God. He did what was evil in the eyes of God. They just kept doing it one after another. God's people had become secular people. They didn't even want God around. Let me ask you a question. What direction is America headed? Do you think that we are becoming more of a Christian nation every year or less? Okay, we're going to talk about that as well. So here's what ended up happening. Right after that guy dies, his son gets into power, becomes king. But it was so unhealthy, he's assassinated after six months. His killer takes the throne by conspiracy, held it for one month. He got assassinated. His murderer held the throne for 10 years. Then his son only holds it for two till he was assassinated by his captain of his army. And that guy comes in. These guys are just a mess. Now, different things happened during this period. And one of the most important things that happened was the mighty nation of Assyria began to rise in world power. And they began to circle like a shark. They were looking for who they could eat and devour. They were looking. This is prime real estate. This is in the Middle East. This is in the center of where all kinds of stuff was happening. They wanted that territory. The only reason they didn't bite is that the kings of Israel started paying them off. You're paying them off. Throw the throw the food over there so they don't eat you, right? They kept them away and they kept circling and circling. One of the leaders of the north really stepped outside of God's will when God used him to fight and discipline the South. 
God wanted him to take it this far. He took it way too far. Here's what happened. They got in a fight and God was going to bring correction. So they got in a war. In one day, they killed 120,000 of their brothers, right? That's a terrible, terrible day. But then the king was such a bad guy, he captured 200,000 more women and children and enslaved them. You want to tick God off? Start putting slavery into your mix. And it's not going to go well for you, right? Because that is going to agitate the heart of God to no end. So he throws in a prophet and says, don't do this. This is against God. Do not do this. But the guy was so hard-hearted, he wasn't listening. Praise the Lord, there were some people around him that had clear heads. And God got to them. And they started telling the king, you can't do this. You can't enslave your own people. I don't care who you think they are. We've got to send these women and children home. And thankfully it worked. Let's make this real personal. Let's say you have a problem with a leader in your life. Let's say you think someone is not leading well. Okay, That could be everything from your boss at work, the CEO of your company. That could be a local leader. That could be a national leader. doesn't matter. Whoever you think is not leading according to Jesus Christ. Here's what we tend to do. We pray for them once right? If they didn't turn around, forget it. I did that. Do you understand that the Bible says we are to be praying for our leaders so that it would go well for us? If our nation or our local leadership or our company is not doing well because of bad leadership, part of that is on us, the family of God. Why? We're supposed to be praying for change. But let's say they're too hard-hearted to listen. Do you know another strategic way to pray is pray for the people around them. Why? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but not every organization, all the leaders agree, right? That sometimes the big dog has one mindset and everyone around them is disagreeing and they're going, listen, I'm not on board with this. Maybe we need to be praying that the supporting cast around whoever it is starts to have more influence. And starts to lead in a godly way. Y'all, there's a lot of ways that we can pray as a church of God for peace in our leadership. Yeah? It's important that we do that. All right. Going back to this. Well, anyway, Assyria keeps coming back in, circling like a shark. Keeps coming in. Finally, it gets down to the last northern king. His name is Hosea. He pays off Assyria for a while, but then a plot is discovered. What is that? He's been having secret conversations with Egypt to overthrow Assyria. How do you think they responded to that? Not awesome. They come storming in three-year siege and wipe out the north. 722 AD, the north ceases to exist. Why? How in the world did we get there? What pushed God over the limit? They came into the north of Israel, which is the capital is called what? Samaria. This is really important. Samaria, the capital of the south is what? Jerusalem. So you got two different sides of Israel, north and south, Samaria and Jerusalem. They came in and conquered Samaria and took them all captive and took them out. We're going to read the story because we don't have to guess why this happened. The Bible writes it out in front of us in black and white. 
Would you turn with me to 2 Kings 17.6? 2 Kings 17.6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 323-323. If you have your own Bibles, drop it in the middle, open, go to the left. You're going to find it. 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings follows 1 Kings. All right. Good, good, good. Rocket science. Here we go. I'm going to read through this. And I just want you to follow along because it's a little bit of a longer passage, but it lists reason after reason after reason, because some of us are going to say, why would God smash his own people? Well, let's see why. Here we go. In the ninth year of Hosea, which was 722 BC, the king of Assyria, that mighty shark nation, captured the northern capital of Samaria. And he carried the Israelites away in exile to his nation, Assyria. Go to verse 7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt years ago from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the custom of the nations whom the Lord drove out before them, in the custom that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord things that were not right. They built for themselves pagan high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and pagan asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did, whom the Lord had wiped out before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord said to them, You shall not do this. Okay, let's pause. Over and over and over. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Man, you got to look at these people and go, You're stupid. Until you realize it looks an awful lot like us. Hmm. Why in the world would you trade Yahweh, the God of all creation, for some lesser God that you made up? Why would you trade the greatness of the Almighty for some weak version of it? I don't know. Why do you and I Trade our beautiful and awesome God for money, for fame, for attention. Why do we do it? At some point, we've got to come to our senses. Are we out of our minds? Why wouldn't we be wholly allegiant to King Jesus? All right, let's keep moving forward. So while all this is happening, what is God doing? Look at verse 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord, their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and they themselves became false. They followed all the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded. They should not do like them. 
They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. And they burned their sons and daughters as offerings, and used witchcraft, divination, and omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him to anger. What does it take to push God too far? Well, that'll do it. Y'all, this is not some weird, pagan, hidden nation. This is the Jewish people. This is God's people. What in the world? We're burning our kids alive in pagan worship? How bad do things have to go? How far do you have to fall in your mind to make that call? God said, enough is enough. We're not doing this anymore. You guys are killing each other. You're wounding everyone around you. I built you to be salt and light. Not only are you not salt and light, you're devastating. Not only are you not showing me how I'm loving and kind to the rest of the world, you've become mean and nasty. We're not doing this anymore. Now the problem is, is that some of us, if we were reading this at home, we would go, oh, there's another one of those judgment passages. Yep, here we go. God's crushing down on somebody and he's always waiting to drop the hammer. Is that what you heard? Because you missed it. Here's what I heard. Here's a nation that keeps the phrases provoking God to anger. And yet he keeps being patient and patient and patient and patient. And they keep pushing him. That's what I saw. You see, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, he wanted to know what God was like. And God said, I'll describe myself to you. I am loving. I am kind. I am forgiving. Will I hold people accountable? Totally. But I am full of mercy. We need to get God right in our minds. In our minds, we need to know that God is loving and patient. We need to know that, man, we have pushed him a really long way. And he's still with us. How is that even possible? Because here's what's interesting to me. How long did they let them go like this? Remember, the North started out bad. They were never good. You know how long he let them go? 240 years. How long is that? 243 years ago. You know what year that was? 1776. Sound familiar? Yeah. As long as we have been a legit nation, it's that long. They didn't even start out right. They started out rebellious. They started out by worshiping other gods. Jeroboam the first, the king that kicked it all off, made two golden calves and says, I don't want to worship God anymore. 240 years. And did you notice the phrase? And I kept sending my prophets saying, please turn from your wicked ways, turn from your wicked ways. When we see a phrase in the Bible that says, turn from your wicked ways, we get offended. Wouldn't you rather know? You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't have to tell you. He could just let you do your own thing and then you just spontaneously explode. But he's not doing that. He's telling you up front over and over and over. Don't go this direction. It's not going to go well for you. Why is he telling you that? Because he loves you. 240 years. Man, that's crazy. Do you hear God's patient or do you, or do you only hear that he's judgmental? 
The prophets that he was sending over and over and over. During this time, the book of Isaiah was written. Y'all know how that big old long book, right? Isaiah was a prophet during this exact same time towards the end. Amos was a prophet. Hosea was a prophet. Micah was a prophet. And the list goes on and on and on. God is bombarding them with warning. God is bombarding them with pleading and begging. Don't go this way. So please, when you read the Old Testament, don't see God as being some harsh, nasty, I don't hate, I I hate these people. I'm just going to shut them down. It takes a lot to tick God off. He's so kind. He's so patient. So what happened next? Interestingly enough, it, it says right here, this is fascinating. Look at verse 18. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the south only. Go to the end of verse 23. So Israel was exiled from their land to Assyria until this day. Meaning when this book was written, they were still gone. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, whole different people group. Go to the end of that verse and place them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria, the capital and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they didn't even fear the Lord. Okay, you're like, why do we care about this? Oh, it's going to get real interesting real fast. Let me tell you where the story goes. What was Assyria doing? It's actually brilliant strategy. Here's what they were doing. Man, if we take over a place and we just try to rule them, but they all live there, at some point they're all going to unify and they're going to try to fight against us. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to pull them all out of there move them over here, take people from another land we conquered, put those people in there, and we're going to start mixing all the people groups. Why? Because they will never unify and fight against us. It's super smart. So they took out almost all the Jews, left a few, backloaded them with people from Babylon and other conquered peoples, and then they... Wanted to see how it was going to go. Well, guess what? This is super bizarre. They started having lion attacks. Okay, I, I'm not even messing with you. This is so random. Lions started coming in and eating people. Right? A huge lion infestation problem. Right? So it's so bad, the king finds out about it. The king of Assyria hears about it. Dude, we're getting tons of lion attacks. (laughs) Like, this is not going well. And he's like, well, that's weird. Why? Well, you got to remember, this is not a Christian. This is not a godly nation. This is just a pagan nation. So they're going to think what they always think, which is what? We must have ticked off a local god. You guys got to fix it, man. Go grab one of those. What are they called? Jewish people. Anyway, so go grab one of those guys. Get one of their priests, their holy men, get a whole bunch of them, go back, send them all in there and tell them to calm it down. We don't need lion attacks all the time. So they did. They shoved back in a priest. They shoved back in a bunch of Jewish people. And did it work? Not really. As a matter of fact, listen to this phrase. So the mixture feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations among whom they had been carried away to this day, they don't do according, excuse me, to this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord and their children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did. So they do to this day. 
a little bit of Jewish, a little bit of pagan, mix it all together. What do you get? Here's what's interesting. What's the capital of the northern called? Samaria. You ever heard that phrase before? Of course you have. Because all those people that resettled became what? Samaritans. This is the whole Jesus stuff. By the time Jesus walks in, the Jews have been baking in hatred to the Samaritans. The Samaritans hate the Jews for 400 years. That that one half-breed group, they weren't quite Jewish, but they weren't quite pagan, but they were kind of a mix. They were right in the center of Israel. You remember that? The Jews hated them so much, they would go around the territory. They wouldn't even walk through the middle of it. The story, the good Samaritan... That's all about this. The whole idea of Jesus walking into the center of this hated people group and ministering to the woman at the well suddenly makes more sense. So much racial hatred. So much animosity. And where does Jesus go? Right into the middle of it. When the Holy Spirit hit at Pentecost, it launched out through the Jewish people, but it didn't stop there, did it? It began to encompass the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and then where did it go? To the Samaritans. Because God said, these are my people too. And he started scooping up group after group after group and bringing them into the family of God. Did they have to get over racial challenges? Yeah, just because you got empowered by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you don't remember what went down between your people. So they had to navigate all that mess in the early church. I'm glad it's so much easier today. So, how did it go so wrong? Well... First king, Jeroboam, wrecked it, set it in motion, and it never fixed itself. Why is that? Uh, if you're interested in business dynamics and business principles and leadership principles, here's one for you. The DNA that you set at the beginning of your organization will tend to last the entirety. It is very hard to root out the beginning DNA later on. Does that matter? Well, it certainly mattered here. They started out on pagan idolatry and they could never shake it. It never went right. The foundation wasn't right. The foundation wasn't healthy. Is, are any of you following maybe on how this applies to both our nation and to ourselves? Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about America. Listen, there's a lot of opinions about how our nation got started. Um, I'm more of a realist as far as how I look at things. And basically, there was a whole bunch of mixed motives on what started America. There is There was some people that were here for good reasons, some people that are here for bad reasons. You got the super legit people like the Quakers, right? The Quakers were awesome. They were out here doing all kinds of cool stuff. The William Penn, the guy that started Pennsylvania and got that whole thing going, right? That He was legit. But then you got all these other folks that are doing bad stuff and nasty stuff and they're greedy and all that. Okay, fine. But enough of the people for whatever reason, they looked and they said, if we're going to start this nation for whatever other purpose, let's just say this, 
if we're going to do this right, we got to lock in some Judeo-Christian principles or it's never going to last. Amen? Now, here's how powerful it is. We are still living off that hangover right now. 243 years after 1776, we are still having some of the echoes. Are we a Christian nation right now? Absolutely not. We are a secular nation. You know where we're headed? Europe. That's it. Was Did England used to have kind of a God vibe? Yep. Are they now? Nope. What about France? Christian nation? Nope. All across Europe? Nope. That's where we're going. But we're living off the hangover of a forefathers who said, if it ain't God's way, it ain't going to work. And they locked in phrases like in God we trust. And they started writing up documents that said that this is a founded by God himself. They started loading it, front loading it with God pieces. And it's blessed us, but at some point it's going to run out. You understand what I'm saying? You can't live off that hangover forever. At some point, you've got to own it. So what's going to happen to our nation? All right, let's talk about us. What's going to happen with you? Let me ask you a question. When you got saved, like there's a whole bunch of us in this room that call ourselves Christians. So at some point, you got saved, right? Which means you said, I'm at the end of myself. I have a responsibility to connect with my creator. He's connected with me. I need to answer that call. And so I'm going to admit I don't have it all down. I've been in animosity towards God because I've been selfish and I need a savior. And Jesus poured down forgiveness and grace and mercy into your life. If that occurred to you, if you have been born again, if you had that brand new start, right? You would have been fired up. Yeah. Cause you're just like, dude, I just had all my sins cleansed on the cross. Like now I am forever hurtling towards beauty and connection with God. My future is bright. My present is powerful and you are all lit up. Yeah, that's how it started. Here's my question. What'd you do next? Because how you laid that foundation those first couple years is going to determine how you started to live. Some of us, we took our golden ticket to heaven and said, sweet, I'm forgiven. And there was very little change in our lives. And your life has been unstable ever since. There's others of us that we were so serious about being transformed that when we saw that transformation of Jesus Christ, we dug in and said, if this is the new me, I want to know what I'm talking about. I want to make sure I understand God's word. I want to make sure that I am praying. I want to make sure that I am connected. And we laid a solid foundation. Some of us are still living off that foundation. Because the DNA that starts at the beginning will tend to stick. Only God can bring a change. Now, so what was the difference? If the north lasted for 240 years with 19 kings, how in the world did the south last for 400 years with roughly the same number of kings? It's, they weren't better people. They're just people. I mean, this is the premise that Bridgeway operates off. There is no one in this room that is better than anybody else. We're all just human beings. We're all just, hey, whatever. We're broken people. That's cool. Let's do it together. We can do this. We're jars of clay. The Holy Spirit fills us up. We do extraordinary things. We are blessed by a good God. But man, we're just people, yeah? And if we're just people... 
There is no people better and people. There's no levels. So it's not like the South were better people than the North. Now they, the North had worse leadership than the South. What was the difference between those two nations? Here's my suggestion. The South was more soft-hearted to let God change them than the North was. Are you? Because here's what's interesting to me. The div- See, when enough comes to enough, you only have two choices. Revival or destruction. The South opted revival. The North opted destruction. You see, they weren't different in the South, but they let God through their soft hearts renew them and then renew them and then renew them. That's the only reason they lasted. Now, at some point, they stopped being soft-hearted and God wiped them out too. We'll talk about that in future coming weeks. But they sure lasted a lot longer. So are you soft-hearted enough to allow God to renew you and renew you and renew you, right? Because that's our shot. Because let me be honest with you. There are a bunch of you that are super disciplined. There's a bunch of you that are hardcore Christians. You're way nicer and holier than I am. Tell you that. I've met you, right? I'm looking up to you, yeah? The only shot that we have is no matter how cool and legit you are as a Christian, you're still a human being. And what that means is you're not always going to be on fire. Sometimes that's going to wane. You're not always going to run and read the word of God. It's going to come down. You're not always going to want to pray. You're not always going to want to make the right decisions. You're not always going to live the way that Jesus wants you to live. Why? You're a human being. And so it's always going to wane. You say, well, then, pastor, what shot do we have? Revival. You see, you're always going to wane, but what we need is a soft heart to let God catch us and spin us back up and we get fired up again and we live in the glow of that and live with him and try really hard. And then when we go down, we get fired up again. You guys, we need personal revival. Amen. We... We as a church, we need revival. It's not like Bridgeway can just constantly live and do everything right. We're just people. So we're going to wane and we're going to have difficulties. But will we be soft-hearted enough for revival to launch us back up again? What about our region? Will we be soft-hearted for our region to see a revival? Will our nation be soft-hearted enough to see revival? Or do we have to go to destruction? The difference is soft hearts. The difference is revival. Nobody's ever going to do it right all the time. And if you constantly hit yourself over the head and go, I must be a failure as a Christian because I keep struggling and I keep getting bummed out and I keep kind of slacking up. You're a human being. God knows that. Is it the best? Ah, It's realistic. What's our shot? Revival. Let me finish with these passages. Do you all believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? To me, that is a fact. Because at some point, enough is enough. There are some theologies out there that believe everything's just getting better. I'm not one of those folks. 
But I believe that one day, it doesn't mean that we can't have revival, it doesn't mean that we can't have renewal, and that we can't continue going on. That is going to make, in my opinion, the determining factor. However, let me just tell you this. At some point, God's going to call it. He's going to say, enough is enough, no more hurting each other, no more rebelling against me, no more that we're not doing that anymore. I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. I'm going to make sure there's no more disease and pain. I'm going to make sure that you're okay because I can't have my children hurt anymore. And you're like, well, then that sounds awesome. How about you do that now? Right? Like, Lord, you might as well have come back. Why are we waiting two years, 2000 years? I got an answer for you. Second Peter three, nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should die, but that all should reach repentance. Why is he taking so long? Because he's given you space to get saved. He's given you space for a revival. But look at the next line, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Meaning it's going to come and you're not even going to see it coming. Y'all... When I talk about this and I'm closing this out, please hear me very clearly. I am not interested in playing off fear. I grew up in the 80s. I know fear. In the 80s, man, the church, everything was scary. Holy cow. Every movie was freaking you out. Everything was like, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die all the time. I am not interested in playing off fear. It's a super good motivator, but it does not last. I don't want to talk to you about fear. I want to be practical with you. Here's the practicality. Do you know the moment you're going to die? If you don't, you're kind of gambling. Does that make sense? That's it. I'm not trying to freak anybody out. I'll tell you what. I don't know if you have tonight. I don't know if you have tomorrow. I do know you have right now. So right now, what are we going to do? Christians, When we meet the Lord face to face, is there going to be an upsurge where we go, Lord, I can't wait to tell you what I did. And he goes, I know you did great. Or are we going to go, wow, I didn't expect you today. Sorry about the way I've been living. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what's interesting. Romans 13 says, you know, the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night's far gone. The day's at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What was his point? How long are we just going to kind of go with this apathetic kind of rebellious attitude as Christians? When are we going to get locked in? Well, I can't stay locked in. No, no, no. I mean revival. When are you going to allow God's Holy Spirit to fill you up again and get locked and ready to go? When is that going to happen? Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who's going to save us? Jesus. Jesus. How do we know that? 
Acts 4.12, for there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. But the most important verse I want you to hear is 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know. I don't know if we have tomorrow. But we got right now. And what that means is we got to connect with our creator on whatever he wants us to do. If we're Christians, today's our day of revival. If you have not yet made that commitment, today's your day of salvation. I got only good news for you today. I don't know what news I'll have for you tomorrow. But I got great news for you right now. And that's that God has given you a space. And he said, come to me, my child. You know, I've been whispering to you over and over and over. Today's your day. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? We're going to close out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for two groups. I'm going to pray for those of us that have never made that commitment that salvation would come to us today. That everything that Jesus paid for on the cross, all the sins he wants to wipe away, that that would happen for you. I'm going to pray for us believers that revival would enter our hearts, that revival would sweep us off our feet, that inside we'd be more passionate than ever. We'd be excited to follow Jesus. If you need those types of prayers, you came to the right place. You ready to go? When I say amen, the altar is anointed and open. If you have any needs other than what we've been talking about, or even if you want to pray more about that stuff, that's why they're here. So when we say amen, feel free to come on forward and talk with them. But I'm going to pray for us as we leave. Heavenly Father, we say yes to you. That God, right now, in this moment where we have this snippet of time where we are clear-minded and we're able-bodied to be able to respond to your love. And we say yes. Right now, Jesus, for all of us that have not yet engaged with you, Lord, we are raising our hands right now to you. And we say, save us, heal us, transform us, take away all of our sin, make us born again, make us brand new. We don't want to live on our own anymore. We know we were built to live with our God and we want connection with you right here, right now. Take us away from ourselves and allow us to find the real us in you. Cleanse us, purify us and set us on the right path. Father, for those of us that are Christians, we've been walking with you, talking with you. Some of us, it's kind of drifted into a, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian in name only. Lord, we need revival. We need something to just fire up our spirit. We need more of you and less of us. I do know that. It means less selfishness and a whole lot more Holy Spirit power that we want to live in maximum. We want to live not only in this understanding of our state of forgiveness and grace, but Lord, the empowerment of the spiritual gifts and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we are praying right now for all hearts that are soft and willing, whatever soil is good and ready, Lord, would you shower down your blessing upon us and build us to be different people. God, may revival strike each and every heart of the willing. Would there just be passion rising everywhere that when we walk out of here, Lord, we're going to take the world by storm, love by love by love.
Thank you, God, for your patience with us. We're kind of all messed up. But we're so thankful that you're our dad. You are a good, good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.